Hi, and welcome to Greetings from Brussels, episode 18 of our Global Tech Swamp podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Taylor, and as always, I'm joined by our EU team. Hi, Anna. Hello. And hi, Niels. Hey, everyone. Artificial intelligence, or AI for short, has been the talk of the town over the past few weeks. On 9th November, the European Parliament's Special Committee on AI discussed the future of AI in Europe and the path forward to how to get there. In this episode, we're joined by Fernando Guerrero, CEO and founder of member company News Intelligence, to share his thoughts on potential AI regulation in the EU. But before we get to all, all that, tech history and the top tech headlines in Europe. For this edition of Tech History, we're going back to 13th November 1851, and that's when the world's first operational underwater telegraph cable opened for business, laid by British telegraphic engineer John Watkins Brett and his brother Jacob Brett. The cable connected the English city of Dover to the French city of Calais. The cable was ran at the narrowest point of the English Channel, and the brothers had already laid a cable across the channel earlier that year, but after French fishermen cut the cable thinking it was a new kind of seaweed, the brothers installed an armoured cable that lasted for many years. With the newly established link, communications between London and Paris was made possible, and that's all for Tech History today. And now it's time for Brussels Bites. Anna and Niels, what are the latest top headlines from inside the Brussels bubble? Facebook's whistleblower Frances Haugen testified in the European Parliament on November 8th. Policymakers and Ms. Haugen will discuss the potential negative impact on users of large social media platforms and their business models and how the proposed EU digital rules currently being negotiated can address these issues. The European Parliament's committee in charge of these files has even postponed its votes on the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act, the two key pieces of legislation targeting online platforms and affecting European app developers to hear from her. However, the delay in the vote is more likely due to the fact that members of the European Parliament are still discussing amendments to the bill and how to bring together the views of different political groups than Mrs. Haugen's visit. At the COP26 UN Climate Change Conference, world leaders announced a plan to make green tech cheaper than their fossil-based alternatives. Leaders agreed to align standards and coordinate investments to speed up the production of green tech. Software developers and other technology companies are increasingly contributing to addressing the issue of climate change. For example, they are producing technology solutions that reduce waste, creating circular life cycles for products and developing connected heating systems that help decrease energy consumption. To learn more about the new political drive coming from Scotland this week, head to the show notes. France intends to invest 1.8 billion euros in the country's cloud industry to increase its competitiveness. The plan consists of 667 million euros in public financing, 444 million euros in EU financing, and 680 million euros in private sector co-financing. The government said it has already selected 23 research and development projects that received more than 420 million euros in public financing. In the announcement, French Minister for Digital Affairs Cédric O emphasized the ambition of bringing about French and European industrial champions. On 27 October, the United Kingdom Chancellor in charge of budget, Rishi Sunak, 
announced the Autumn Budget and Spending Review, which sets out the British government's spending plans for each department for the next few years. The main points for digital SMEs include a £2.1 billion pledge to support digital health technology, £20 billion in R&D investment by 2024-25, increased funding for the Innovate UK programs, and more than £50 million to ensure that the UK continues to be a world leader in its approach to digital technologies. If you're looking for more about this 200 pages of autumn budget and spending review, head to the show notes for a more detailed analysis. A group of over a thousand universities, 56 academies of science, and 33 rector's associations urged the European Commission to immediately finalize the UK's association to the EU's research and innovation program, Horizon Europe. The Brexit Trade and Cooperation Agreement allowed for Britain's participation in the program, but the UK can't join until both sides sign an association agreement. British ministers have accused the Commission of dragging its feet as progress has been slow. The group of universities said the absence of a timeline for UK involvement is causing increasing concern and the uncertainty risks endangering current and future plans for collaboration. Talks on the protocol are ongoing, and while we don't expect a quick resolution, we'll of course keep you posted if there are any updates. And that's all for Brussels Bites. And now to our policy discussion about the state of artificial intelligence, we're joined by Fernando Guerrero, founder and CEO of member company News Intelligence, and our policy um, associates for Europe, Anna Bosch. Niels, you spoke to Fernando recently. Can you fill us in? That's right. I spoke to Fernando about News Intelligence and the work um, they do as an AI-driven company operating out of Alicante, Spain. Uh, specifically, their work um, around building AI systems that help other companies increase productivity. But I think Fernando can probably fill us in on some of the details. Yeah, Nose Intelligence is a startup that was created four years ago uh, out of the University of Alicante. It was based in a research project that was started a couple, couple of years earlier um, that was focused on uh, creating systems that uses intelligence, artificial intelligence to solve optimization problems, basically. So in other words, we try to improve the productivity and sustainability of our clients using artificial intelligence. That's exactly what we do. So um, to give you an example, for instance, um, we have a client that has to handle thousands of contracts uh, related to real estate contracts. So those contracts um, have very complex processes with different phases and that they have to be handled by different people based on different qualifications, etc. So our system uses our own algorithms to improve their productivity by selecting which person is the appropriate one for each one of the phases and then assigning those persons to those phases and also handling any steps that can be automated. So the entire process takes shorter time, is done in a more predictable way, and at the end of the day, improves satisfaction from the final clients. So this is one of the examples. At the same time, the system is capturing the way it is executed. So it's learning to make better projections for the future. 
this is one of the, the simple applications that we use. In other cases, we work with uh, companies that are providing maintenance facilities. So um, in that case, uh, there are typically mobile teams that have to go from one building to another, performing different tasks. And our system is handling all the planned activities that these teams have to perform. And at the same time, handling any unexpected tasks that might appear for any reason, any urgency that typically is the, the more difficult things to handle. But our system improve uh, the assignment of those resources to the right task based on the priority and the criticity of each one of those tasks and the available resources that we might have. So these are some of the examples. So looking at what is happening in Brussels, uh, we're seeing an emphasis on trust and safety, particularly when it comes to AI. Anna, thinking about what Fernando and the team at NUS do, can you describe the status of AI regulation in the EU? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the European Commission basically proposed a new AI Act um, earlier this year, and this proposal builds on um, what they call a risk-based approach. And that just basically means that the law would group different AI applications into categories of risk. So that can range from um, AI with no risk, AI with min minimal risk, and AI with limited risk, to AI with high risk or outright um, banned AI applications. So those would be the highest risk. Cases would just be forbidden. Um, and as an example, it would forbid um, biometric mass surveillance and general purpose social scoring, but chatbots that you interact with on a website would probably just have to fulfill information obligations. So the website would have to let you know that you're talking to a bot and not a person. Um, and as for the status of this regulation, the European member states have been reviewing this proposal for, for quite some time now, and also the European telecommunications ministers are starting to discuss it. And at the same time, the European Council presidency is currently working on a um, compromise proposal, which will bring together all these different views on the AI Act. And they're hoping to present that later this month. And then the third item in parallel to the AI Act um, is the European Parliament's Special Committee on Artificial Intelligence. And they will discuss their roadmap for where they want Europe to take AI. And the author of this roadmap is um, German member of the parliament, Axel Voss. And he has said that he wants to ensure Europe's AI rules become the global standard um, and stop the brain drain of European AI talent. And the special committee will actually um, discuss that AI roadmap today, November 9th. So there's a lot going on for developers to keep track of. Um, now, it doesn't seem that any of these proposals explicitly mention data, which maybe gives us more questions than answers on what our members companies uh, could expect from this regulation. Niels, did you and Fernando talk about data at all? Oh, absolutely. Uh, when we spoke, Fernando and I discussed the importance of data and how much value there is uh, around it and the lengths they and other member companies go to to keep their data safe and secure for their clients. You sometimes hear the phrase um, garbage in, garbage out when it comes to data, and Fernando had some excellent insights uh, to share around this experience with data and why good data is so important. 
That is, is quite an interesting issue because in many of our clients, we, we actually face this problem. They might have a, a big amount of data stored, but in many cases, it's distributed across different systems and the data might not be consistent. So if you try to combine the base data on which the algorithm tries to work, you might discover very big inconsistencies. So quality of data is quite crucial. But in other cases, um, there might be data that have been never captured properly. So um, for the algorithms to work, the, the companies, the organizations need to, to analyze first, what data do they really need that can be useful for their, for their purpose? And at the same time, what from the data they already have is it valid and which one is not valid? So in other words, they need to make decisions based on the authority of, uh, of the data they have and who owns which data. Um, I've seen so many cases where uh, different departments have the right to modify the data without, with very little control and they create inconsistency in the data. So at the end they get, they create garbage. And if the algorithm, it doesn't matter how good the algorithm might be, if it is based on bad data, the results will be always bad. So it's, it's crucial to have um, clean data that can, it can be uh, uncontestable. So any person uh, trying to get any conclusions out of the data, they have a single source of information that can be trusted completely. But a different thing is about the, the high risk uh, policy. Uh, well, we, we had to understand what's the purpose of using a given set of data. And um, if we eliminate from the data anything that can be considered legally as a risk for any reasons, like uh, any, any type of personal information, uh, it might be that we are taking away some valuable information that can be appropriate for an algorithm to work. To give you an example, uh, if you want to create an algorithm to predict how likely a person can develop a, a given illness, any information about that person, any information at all is crucial. So if we keep out, for instance, the age of that person, because we consider the age is a sensitive uh, piece of information, well, we are taking out a crucial part of the information required to make that projection, right? So uh, we had to understand that one thing is to misuse the data use it for a different purpose for, for what was originally gathered. And a completely different thing is to uh, deprive the systems from crucial data that is required or to actually those systems to work for the benefit of the user. If we look at some of the specifics of what the European Commission has focused on, it primarily um, focuses on those high risk applications of AI that use sensitive data. During your chat, um, Fernando mentioned an AI-driven healthcare application that undoubtedly needs to access um, sensitive data to function the way it should. Would that AI application be impacted uh, by the proposal? Oh, that's a great question. Based on what we discussed, you could conclude that it would be high risk. So with that in mind, I asked him from an SME perspective, what are you hoping to see in the EU and when it comes to this regulation? And this is what he said. 
I, I know it's, it's difficult, but I, I like them to put themselves in the shoes of an entrepreneur or a small company, right? And if they issue a new regulation, they should think carefully about what that represents for a small company. To give you an example, before GDPR, companies were carefully trying to use the data that, that they capture from their clients and their stakeholders. But after GDPR, many small companies have to incur in extra expenses every month just to keep up with the legislation, just to keep up with the regulations imposed by that legislation. So it doesn't mean that before they were not careful. It means that just because they need to comply with that legislation in a very specific way, that means that they need to spend money in external consultants, and that represents extra funds that otherwise might be used for increasing employment. So for a very small company, every euro counts. And then we need to see whether that euro really, really, really improves quality of that company or just simply has to be spent for um, following a specific new legislation that might have been created for perhaps for bigger companies, but at the end of the day, they affect all companies. So they should focus on how each new piece of legislation affects small company in the day-to-day -day operations of that company. And that is uh, some something that sometimes is not understood properly at first. So the implications can be tremendous. And for some companies, it might be life or death of the company. Anna, you, you also mentioned high-risk applications earlier. A vast majority of AI systems currently used in the EU are actually in the category of minimal risk. But some applications, like Fernando's example, are a bit more sensitive, right? So what can you tell us about that and what does it all mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, the proposed AI Act would likely consider the example of an IA that can predict the development of a given illness as a high-risk application. And that means it would likely have to comply with more legal obligations than an AI application that is considered minimal risk. Um, and it's also important to consider the data these AI applications handle. And for health applications, this data can be quite sensitive, but at the same time, there's great value for society in using the technology, right? And so in the end, as Fernando highlighted, it comes down to having good data and using that data for the right purpose. And speaking of data, there's also more going on in that field at the European level. Um, because the European Commission is currently also working on a set of rules for a common European data space. Um, and with that proposal, the Commission wants to create a, a true single market for data, where European companies can use data from public bodies and other businesses and citizens safely and fairly for the common good of European um, businesses and consumers. And as they're developing these rules, obviously we hope they keep SMEs in mind because a harmonized legislative framework for the governance of common European um, data spaces can create a level playing field for all actors um, that use data and that use data for good purposes like innovation and research that benefits consumers. And we're gonna keep an eye on how these proposals develop and keep everyone posted on that. Those are some really good insights um, to keep in mind. Um, to wrap up, Niels, um, was there anything else in your discussion with Fernando you would like to pass along? Yeah, many many of our members are already investing extensively in AI-driven solutions that span all sectors of industry. And 
it will just continue to increase. So I wanted to end our, on a future-driven note, uh, a look to the future of AI in the EU. Uh, some people might not like it, but the reality is that the more information that the AI algorithms might have about us, the more useful they become. If, uh, if I think about myself, if I want to have a, a great AI assistant, I would like that AI assistant to have as much information about me as possible, because otherwise it will not going to be as useful as it should be. Think about a, a person, right? You want to hire a personal assistant to you. I'm not talking about a machine, I'm talking about a real person. That person ends up knowing so much about you because otherwise it will be impossible to serve you properly. Well, the same thing goes for a machine. A different thing is how can we isolate the knowledge about you in a way that this uh, algorithm doesn't use that knowledge for a different purpose that can hurt you. But I think that the tendency moving forward is that uh, we have to realize that this uh, artificial intelligence algorithms must know as much as possible about ourselves. Otherwise, they will not be useful. In that case, why to worry? Why to bother developing these algorithms that are not going to provide any purpose? So uh, I guess everybody had to realize that that's the way it is. Thank you so much for sitting down with Fernando and of course a big thank you to Fernando for sharing his insights. We're continuing to actively engage with, with the European institutions to provide our members feedback on the issue and are working to ensure that all SMEs can truly benefit from the potential of AI has to offer. And for more on what you heard in this segment, there is more information of course in the show notes. And now it's time for uh, random identifiers. Anna, you're up first. Um, okay, so, oh yeah, so I went hiking this weekend and um, we had to leave super early because it, it was like an hour away and around here the trails get so crowded that you kind of have to get there before everyone else does. <laughs> um, so when we finally get there, we snagged one of the last parking spots um, it was freezing cold. We were tired. Um, it was not a great start to the day. <laughs> um, but then when we finally like started hiking and got to the top um, and we had the whole view to ourselves and like it was so beautiful and it just was a nice reminder of how much I love the fall and the leaves changing and all the colors and being outside is good for you. And yeah, so I just I my random identifier is to myself to do that kind of thing more often. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And for such a good season. Um, mm -hmm. talk, talking about hiking, I did that once in, in, in Sri Lanka, we went up a mountain and at the top of the mountain, we couldn't see anything because it was so much fog. <laughs> so all the efforts for nothing. But That's yeah, <laughs> But totally agree with you. It's so it's so nice. First of all, the hiking and the yeah. and the season. Yeah, I think a lot of people have rediscovered hiking and biking and going out and about. Yeah. Just to yeah, just to enjoy nature. The great outdoors after we were locked indoors for a while. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So Niels, what's your random identifier? Yeah, that mine was looking at Facebook being converted. The name being converted to Meta. And I think Mark Zuckerberg forgot a small detail when he changed the name. And I was checking if someone else had 
registered the name because I think a lot of companies have already popped up and said, well, actually, we're called that as well. And um, some of them have really gone out of their way to make funny um, photoshops of Mark Zuckerberg promoting their brand and, and putting that on Twitter. So um, an absolute applause to the people that, that came up with that. Um, and uh, and did those photoshops. I uh, I genuinely laughed. Yeah, I saw some uh, some some Twitter uh, feed about one company, a German startup that had the same logo, kind of. And um, yeah, it was a uh, was some quite funny reaction there. Yeah, there was uh, even this this one company that had their founder present as if they this this company called Meta had changed their name and they changed it to Facebook. Yeah. Um, so now for my random identifier, talking about small companies, um, and also we talked early on about COP26, um, it's, it's, it's great to see how many small businesses uh, are providing so many good, innovative uh, solutions. And um, one of them uh, I read about in the news, it's a, it's a small startup, app developers and connected device uh, company um, that do intelligent, uh, intelligent heating. So they change the radiator valves um, and uh, basically, you connect it to your app. You can control all your heating uh, in your house or in huge buildings, and like the energy savings can be up to forty percent, which is absolutely huge. Um, and the fun fact is that those valves don't have batteries in it, meaning that uh, well, if you're in your small house and you have to change the batteries in it, it will take you I don't know five minutes. But if you're like in a university with thousands of radiators, it will take you like days. So um, yeah, it was it was nice to see all the solutions. So I just want to to highlight that. Oh yeah, and the company I think it's called Four Inch. So that's yeah. nice and positive. I like that. And we've reached the end of greetings from Brussels, episode eighteen of our Global Tech Swamp podcast. And if you're interested in learning more, head over to our website at actonline/techswamp. Uh, sorry, actonline.org/techswamp, where you'll find our show notes. And we also have transcripts available. You can find them at the top of our show notes as well as on podscribe.com. Just search for TechSwamp. You can subscribe to TechSwamp on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher to get your latest episode first. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you so much for listening and bye for now. Bye. Bye.